right. All right. Hey, welcome to Sedaris. Grab a seat. My name is Dave, one of the pastors here at Sedaris. We apologize for uh, some technical difficulties. We didn't have the words up there on the screen. Hope that wasn't distracting to you. We are still a church startup, so we're figuring all sorts of stuff out. If uh, things work out, we'll have some brand new projectors next week. We thought we'd have them this week, but <laughs> we couldn't figure it out. So that's what you get when you pay a pastor to do AV work. <laughs> Pray for my replacement. All right, so if you've got a copy of the scriptures, would you grab it? Turn to Psalm 25. We are going to be looking at that psalm today. The psalms are right in the center of your Bible. So if you just turn to the center, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the ends of the rows. You could ask somebody to pass one down to you so that you could follow along with us today. Psalm 25. We're in our summer of psalms. We're doing this every summer here at Sedaris. Uh, it's a great way to take a break from uh, whatever rhythms of considering we're doing as a church and stop and ask the question, how do we pray? So many people don't know how to pray, whether you grew up in the church or not, and uh, the Psalms are really our master guide. They teach us how to pray, and praying is living, so they teach us how to live, and living is praying. So really, if we study the Psalms and we understand and we see how the psalmists will bring everything to God, they don't just filter the bad thoughts out and only bring good thoughts to God, they bring it all to God. They say whatever's on their mind because they're in a real relationship with their creator, with the God of the universe, Yahweh, who has revealed himself to them. So we're in the Psalms, and today we're actually looking at a Psalm that has been uh, my desktop background for about six months now. And uh, I decided, you know what, I'm going to preach on this Psalm because I put that Psalm on my desktop because I wanted a memento, a reminder of what this Psalm will teach us about uh, the ways that God loves us, the ways that he leads us. And so it's been on my desktop, and I, I thought I'd share with you why this psalm is so important to me. If you, if you don't do this, if you don't uh, leave mementos around uh, your life to bring the word of God, the truth of God into your vision, even when you're not looking for it, I highly recommend it, whatever that might be, you know? I just think those sorts of things, although you might think, well, uh, they're a little corny or cheesy, don't, don't think that way. We need mementos in our life to bring us back to God, particularly when we might be off the path, as we'll see today. We need those little signposts that say, hey, wait, God loves me. Wait, hope in God. Wait, he's forgiven my sins. So I've got this on my desktop. Maybe you do something like that. Maybe it's just post-it notes around your house uh, with scripture on it. Uh, maybe it's Hobby Lobby. I love Hobby Lobby. Have you been to Hobby Lobby? They have great art. My wife loves Hobby Lobby, and we have all sorts of godly sayings scattered around our house, so that's Hobby Lobby. Uh, the interesting thing about this psalm, I'll say this before we read it, is it's an acrostic psalm. It's a long psalm, and uh, actually what it's doing is each, we don't see it in the English, but each line in the Hebrew is a, is a new letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So it's like A to Z. Each line walks through the Hebrew alphabet. And this, again, is a way to help the people of God, the Israelites, to remember this psalm so that they might memorize it even, they remember it, and come back to it. So acrostics can be helpful in that way. If you were here with us last summer, I told you about an acrostic that I made up for my son Grayson to try to teach him how to pray. Uh, and, it, and it goes like this. I say to Grayson, I say, after the day, we pray. A-F-T-E-R. The A stands for adoration and awe. 
So I tell Grayson, what's something amazing? Now, he's, he's not good at it yet, but he's working on it. Something amazing, something awesome that you saw in God's creation today. F stands for forgiveness, and you can say also lament. We ask God for forgiveness. Thankfulness, that's the T. Uh, last week's psalm, we talked, that's really a psalm of thanksgiving. Last week we talked about that. You can go back and listen to that. E stands for everyone else. So uh, we, we pray to God, we thank God, we ask for forgiveness. Uh, we also pray for other people, everybody else. We pray for our friends, Grayson. We pray, pray for our politicians. We pray for other nations. We pray for people around the world. And then finally R is we bring our requests to God, our petitions. And that's actually what this psalm today is categorized as. Each of the psalms kind of fall into a category. This is a psalm of petition. Now, actually, what we'll see is in this psalm, four out of the five after uh, elements are in there, and, um, but it really is primarily a prayer of petition where the psalmist is going to be asking God something particular, and he's going to be asking God to teach him his ways. So, God, teach me your ways, the psalmist will cry. So, if you would, let's read together this acrostic, alphabetic, amazing petition to God. Here we go. Psalm 25, verse 1. This is a psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantingly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me to your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress." Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray real quick. Father God, this is a beautiful psalm of petition, God. We 
petition you right now. We request, we ask you to show up in this place. Stir in our hearts, God, that we might see what you have for us today. It might be a little bit different for each one of us in the room. We might have different things that we need to hear, God. I would just pray that you would speak to my friends here today and whatever they need reminder of, whatever truth they need to wash over them. God, anything that is from you, may it stick and stir in us. If it is not from you, may it pass through one ear and out the other. God, may you be glorified today as we consider your word together. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You might have noticed in the psalm there's a few repeating themes or phrases. Did you notice that? There's actually four that I picked up on as I studied this psalm. The four themes or phrases that are repeated over and over again are one, ways and paths. Two, shame or being ashamed. Three, forgiveness and sin. And four, waiting. What I want to do today is unpack each of these themes, and and you see the psalmist sort of coming back to them again and again and again. And I think what we can learn from this psalm is that in our life, As a follower of God, as a follower of Jesus, these themes and these patterns repeat themselves in our life. It's not a one time and then we're done with it. It's again and again and again we walk this particular rhythm of ways, shame, forgiveness, and waiting. So look with me at verse 1. Here we go. We'll look at this first phrase, and that is ways and paths. Verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I lift up my soul. Now, here's what's important about this. He's proclaiming at the beginning of his prayer of petition. He's saying, God, you know this. I just want to remind you, I'm giving you my life. It's yours. Take it. I'm lifting up my life. I'm elevating my spirit. I'm giving it to you as an offering. So that's sort of the fundamental. He's not wrestling as to whether or not he should. He's already decided to lift up his ways. Now, you might be in the room today. You might still be considering whether or not you want to lift up your soul to God. That's great. We love that you're here. That's why we exist as a church, to help people decide to make that decision to consider whether or not God is trustworthy enough to lift up your soul to him and give him ownership. But the psalmist has already decided to do that. He is giving God his soul. And look at verse 4. Jump down to verse 4. Because of that, he needs some help. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. And what we'll see if we kept reading, or you might remember it as we read it, he says something similar to this several times, at least five times. He says in this verse alone, make me, lead me. He'll also say, teach me, guide me, instruct me. And then what we could interpret as the friendship of the Lord is befriend me, God. Come that close. And it's clear here Um, that even after you give up your soul to God, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of unknown about what life with God is going to be like. And so some of us, that's hard. We say, well, if I'm giving my life to God, why is there still so much uncertainty and unknown? That's the way it goes. And as we look through the psalm, what we see is that there's an escalating level of intimacy that progresses through the psalm. That very first cry, make me to know your ways. That's very forceful. That's very authoritarian. He's telling God, he's like, listen, I need you to hit me with a blunt object. Make me know your ways. By the end of the psalm, he's talking about the friendship of the Lord. 
And I think that's how our lifetime walk with God can feel like. Man, when we're first coming to God, when we first lifted him up, I think we should pray, God, beat me over the head with your ways. Don't let me keep going the ways I'm going. And then as our life progresses, more and more it starts to feel like friendship with God. That's at least been the experience of my life, and I think the psalmist too. He's, he's showing all the ways in which God teaches us to walk on his paths. Now, how do we then learn the paths of God? How does God make us to walk in his ways? How does he teach us and instruct us and guide us? And the answer to that question is simple. Through the word. Now, here's what's interesting. There's several ways in which the word expresses itself in God's creation. And let me talk about those. And each of these ways in which the word of God instructs us is what we would call revelation. Now, revelation, this is really important to understand uh, because it's very, very countercultural, is revelation comes from outside of myself and moves inward. Okay? That's revelation. It's revealed to us. It is not something that we already have and just have to unpack. The word is shorthand for revelation. God reveals things and it moves inside. You see how different that is than how most of us think? Most of us think, and our world will teach us, that whatever is good and right and the ways that we should go, they are already on the inside, and what we need to do is find that truth within us and move outward. So the world is telling us we go from the inside out. And God is telling us, well, if you want to walk in my ways, it's always from the outside in. Um, I was a child of a man who loves music. That's why I love music. And uh, so I still have lyrics of songs stuck in my head because my father would just be singing all the time. And if you've met him, he's actually in the room today. Uh, you don't have to talk to him long before he starts singing. So start a conversation with him. You'll see what I'm talking about. And as I'm preaching this psalm, you know, this psalm is all about go God's way. All I could hear in my head was an old Fleetwood Mac song called You Can Go Your Own Way. You know what I'm talking about? Great song. Great song. And I listened to this song, and I was looking at some lyrics, and early in the song, there's a lyric that says this, how can I ever change things that I feel? Have you heard that today? Guess how it got into our vernacular, Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> but really, many of us in the room today are millennials. Um, and, you know, people always have interesting things to say about millennials. But really, the blame <laughs> is on us, uh, our parents, okay? Because they were listening to songs like Fleetwood Mac, You Can Go Your Own Way. And to be honest, they didn't even know what the song was actually about. It's about a lovesick, um, sad lover whose partner goes their own way. But it's, you know, when I found it on Spotify, it's under... Uh, classic road trip songs. And you listen to the song, it's nothing about a road trip, <laughs> but that's how we remember it, okay? And, and so our parents listen to this music, they tell us, hey, don't let anybody tell you what to do, you can go your own way. And so now we just assume it's on the inside of us that this is truth. So how can you ever change things that you feel? The answer is revelation from the outside in. And here is how God has revealed himself. 
how the word comes to us and teaches us the way that we should go. God reveals his ways in nature. In Genesis, as God creates the cosmos, it says this, God spoke the world into existence. How did he do that? Was it a loud shout with the Big Bang? I don't think it really matters how he spoke it. We just know that Scripture says his word created, which means that everything in our world is part of the word, the revelation of God. So we want to know his ways. One of the things we do is we look to nature. Understanding always that nature has been affected by the fall, and so we're trying to see what was God's perfect design in nature, but he's speaking to us about the ways we should go. A second way is that God reveals his ways in Jesus. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus is the word of God in the flesh, that the word of God became a human being and dwelt among us and walked. And so if we want to know the ways that we should go, we look at Jesus' life. He is a human version of the word, of the way. Be like Jesus. We say it all the time, but this is why. So what ways, what paths do we see Jesus taking? Well, we know that Jesus talked a lot with his father. We should do that too. We know that Jesus was unimpressed by title or fame, by popularity or office or worldly success. That did not impress him. He valued the poor as much, if not more, than the wealthy. He chose his friends wisely, but not by human standards or for personal upward mobilization. He chose his friends by waiting for the Father's guidance to enlighten his heart to know these are the friends that I want you to have. He valued women and men equally. Both were his disciples, and at that time, that was revolutionary. He was serious about his God-given mission, and he patiently waited to fulfill it. He based his moral judgments not on, God, uh, sorry, not on the world's, but on God's character, on Scripture. And this led him to an elevated seriousness concerning holiness and purity, and it made him look very different even than his highly religious society in which he lived. And then we know that Jesus sacrificed temporal, immediate good for good that was far off and eternal. These are some of the ways of Jesus, and the list could go on and on and on, and so we want to know the way. We look to the Word incarnate, Jesus the Christ. Finally, God reveals his ways in Scripture. 2 Timothy 3 tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Same idea that we have in creation. Same idea in the incarnation of Jesus that Scripture, this book, was breathed out by God. That God spoke through human authors his truth that he wanted recorded so that we might come to this day, and understand the ways that God would have us to go. This is why we teach from the Bible each and every week. Now imagine if, like I talked about last week, we were consistent and regular in attending church and hearing the word of God proclaimed. We could have, in just a year, 30 to 40 hours 
of better understanding of God's word, of the full counsel of God's word. It would help us to know the ways that we should go. And so in these three ways, the word of God comes and reveals itself to us so that we might know the ways with which we should walk. Now what's implicit in the psalm is that finding and following God's ways, God's paths, will lead to abundance, to security, to health, to wholeness, to life, to new friendships. The only problem is that we also know experientially, if you've ever tried to follow God's ways, that we don't always experience these things, do we? We often experience the opposite. And this brings me to my second key theme or phrase that we see again and again at least five times within this short psalm. Shame or being ashamed. He says it right there in verse two. Read it with me again. He says, God, I lift up my soul to you. And then he says this, God, I trust you. Okay, now you just have to put yourself in his shoes. God, I'm giving you my life. I'm trusting in you. And then look what he says. Please, please, let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Why do you think he's saying that? He's saying it because he's experienced those things. We've probably all experienced this. When we try to go God's way, when we try to follow his guidance in our life, we end up feeling shame, not confidence. Embarrassment, not joy. Ridicule, not vindication. That's what the psalmist is telling us. This word here, exult, literally means rejoice. That you go and you do something God's way, and it doesn't lead to abundance life and fullness. It leads to something else. And those people who said, don't do it God's way, now they're rejoicing. They're laughing. Have you experienced that? Because you trusted God. How'd that end up for you? The Hebrew word here for shame or being ashamed can also be translated and carries with it this idea of disappointment. Why does God let us feel disappointment with him? We've all experienced disappointment with God, right? I know I have. God, I'm walking in your ways, so why? Why, God, am I not yet married when my heart's desire is to be in a covenant-loving relationship. God, why won't you heal me? I believe that you're the good physician. God, why are you withholding another child from me? Is this not a good request of my heart? God, why would you take away someone I love when they have so much to offer this world? God, why would you take this job from me when I work unto you, when I seek to glorify you in my work? And the list could go on and on and on with the disappointments of our hearts. By the way, these disappointments that I just read are 
personal cries of my own heart. That I've cried out to God in prayer. God, why are you letting me down? Now there's two common ways when we feel this disappointment, and we will feel it, that we respond to God. These are the two common ways, and then I'm going to transition to a better way. The first common way is that we start expecting less from God. This is actually oftentimes the counsel of our world when it comes to disappointment. Well, if you just expect less from other human beings, you'll never be disappointed. But God's just not another human being. This, this sometimes is actually good counsel in our world. Maybe we expect too much. But when it comes to God, he's not just a fallible, broken human being. He's the all-powerful, perfect, holy, loving being who created us. And actually, we should expect everything from him. So don't start expecting less from God so that you're not as disappointed with God. Keep expecting everything and asking for everything from God. That's the first common way of dealing with disappointment. The second common way is actually the third theme or phrase you see right here in the psalm. And that is, we sin. We decide to veer off God's path. We decide to go our own way. Because God's way has left us disappointed. I've tried dating fill in the blank, a blonde. So, predictably, I overcorrect, and now I start to date, you fill in the blank, Burnett. There's obviously more profound fill in the blanks that you could, but I didn't want to put the words in anybody's mouth. This is our human propensity to pendulum swing, okay? After disappointment. Have you experienced this in life? We love to pendulum swing. We tried it this way. It didn't work. Let's go all the way over to the other extreme. Nobody's seen this in politics, has they? It'll happen again. Dieting. Here's the way it works. And it's actually more complex than we like to make it think. I think we think, oh, we tried it over here and we fell off the cliff, so we'll just go over here, because over here is safety, and we'll be fine. The problem is, actually, when we're talking about the ways of God, it's more like a Mount Rainier, with slopes on every side, and there is only one place that we're trying to get. And so any side of the slope is just as dangerous as the other side. And so if we just pendulum swing and go our own way because God's left us disappointed, we'll just end up falling off the other side of the mountain. God's best life is right there at the pinnacle, and there's danger all around. But our human propensity tells us just overcorrect. Go our own way. And this is called sin. Our shame, our embarrassment... Our ridicule, our disappointment will always lead us towards sin. And the psalmist admits this. He says, I've done this, God. I, I, even after I've lifted my soul to you, I have done this many, many a time. And that's why you see him repeat these words at least five times. 
mentioning his own sin, asking for forgiveness. Read verse 7, for instance, with me. It says this. This is the chunk of the scripture that I have on my desktop. Verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me. Now, there's two types of sin that we see here. We generally put everything under the category of sin, but there's two ways of veering off of God's path for our life. The first here is this term actually translated sin, which just means missing the mark, meaning God said, this is my way up the mountain to my best life for you, and we only half-heartedly obey. And we say, I kind of get what you're telling me, but I'm going to take a shortcut. I'm going to go my own way. And so we always fall short. We miss the mark of a command, a directive from God. The second term here, transgressions, this is actually less about half-hearted obedience, and it's more about rebellion. This is proactive tyranny. This is killing the captain and taking the ship. We do this also. It's not just kind of missing the mark. It's wholehearted rebellion against God. And oftentimes it looks like he's got me going up this path and I flip God the bird and I walk the direct opposite way. I say, screw you, God. We do both ways. Now here's what the psalmist does. This is what we should do. He admits his errors. And and then what does he do to get back on God's plan? Whether it's just that he's Tried to go the same way, but in his own thinking, or else he's completely turned around and gone back down the path. No matter what you've done, verse 12 tells us what to do. Look at it here. He says, sorry, verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Now, what does he mean, for your name's sake? Look back at verse 6. Verse 6 will help us explain. There's three remembers. He says, remember, he's telling God to remember, remember your steadfast love and your mercy, for they have been from of old. And then he says, remember not my sins, my transgressions, according to your steadfast love. And the third remember goes here. Remember me. Now what's going on here? In some ways it's quite clever. He's not tricking God though, but he just understands the way that it works. He knows who God is. God is a loving, merciful, forgiving Father. And what the psalmist is crying out, for your name's sake... He's saying, God, deal with me based on who you are. Remember your character, not my sin. And then he's appealing to this personal relationship that he has with God. Remember me. I'm not my sin. As Christians, we know Jesus Christ has died for your sin When you admit and you turn it over to God on the cross of Calvary, he took care of it so that this psalm could be true, that when we cry out to God and say, do not remember my sin, remember me. And in remembering me, 
he remembers his son Jesus as we experience union with him by faith. That's what we need to do. When we inevitably jump ship and try to go it alone, we simply return to God, admit our sin, beg his pardon for our sin is great, and throw ourselves at the mercy of God's character, which has been revealed to us by his word, by his word, and most perfectly by his word who hung on the cross and died for us. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's throwing himself at God's mercy. That's what we do. Now, it's important to see what we do not do. We do not make excuses. Well, you know, God, you know how disappointed I was. If you only knew how hard it was to be a human being, why don't we say that? Because God says, I do know. I put on flesh. I know exactly how hard it is to be a human being. So we don't make excuses, and we don't find our own way back. We don't find our own way back. This is so, such a human thing to do. Eh, not to gender cast or anything like here, but men are the worst at this, okay? Oh, we're lost. No, we're not. I'll find my own way back. <laughs> and, you know, four hours later when we're just going to the grocery store, uh, we finally get there and say, I told you, I knew I was going. I've done this so many times. I'm glad Allie's not here today. She's working. Don't try to find your own way back. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Simply pull over. Restart the GPS. It will recalculate the route back to God's path for your life. And you follow. You follow his guidance. That's what we do. I love that about God. He is kind of like a GPS, or as Nikki Gumbel says, a NatSav. Nikki Gumbel's British. No matter how far off course you get, if you leave it on, it will always recalculate a new way back to your destination. Don't turn it off. Don't try to get all the way back and then re-engage with God. It just doesn't work. The fourth theme the fourth phrase that we see over and over again that will teach us how to do this, how to navigate disappointment as we try to follow God's ways, is this. He says, for you, God, I wait. Long-term success in life with God hinges on waiting well. Patience, the thing that Americans are the worst at. So this is hard. This is incredibly hard to do this. But the key to not letting disappointment turn into disillusionment, which then turns into despair, is learning to wait well. And to wait well, we need to learn to recognize the difference between, between temporary disappointment and eternal disappointment. So, so to do that, we have to understand what we've actually given to God. We haven't just given to God our checkbook. We haven't just given to God our employment contract. We haven't just given to God our Tinder account. What we've actually given to God is our soul. He never loses that. C.S. Lewis said it best. He said this, 
Don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. So when disappointment strikes, when you're disappointed with God, and it will strike, don't go your own way. Stay the course. Remember the distinction between temporary versus eternal disappointment. Then add a little self-talk, just like the psalmist. It's okay to self-talk yourself. Look at the psalmist. Verse 3, he self-talks. God, I know this. I know this is true. None who wait on God will be put to shame, and you could add, eternally. Verse 5, you are the God of my salvation. Verse 6, your steadfast love and mercy are from old. Verse 8, God, you are good and upright, which he's saying you're fair and you're just. He's reminding himself. He's reminding himself. Verse 10, he says, all paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, you might read this, just a caveat here. You might read this, say, all, all paths lead to God. Right here, verse 10. No, he's saying, all paths of the Lord are steadfast and faithless. He's not saying all paths lead to God, but what he is saying, that if you're walking with God, the one true God, Yahweh, no matter what path he takes you on, because he will take us each on a unique path. Yes, there's one way up this mountain, but God will take us through different disappointments, different ups and downs, different ways. None of us have the exact same path to God, but every Every person who walks with God will end up at God's best eternally. That each of those paths, they are filled with steadfast love, and they are filled with faithfulness, meaning he will always lead you to the top. Even when you think, why are we going this way? I can see it over there. Why are we going this way? If we stick with God, the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. We self-talk this when we feel ourselves uh, straying from the path. We feel that pressure of disappointment, that pressure of embarrassment, that pressure of ridicule. We remind ourselves, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know this about God. Then we remember that the paths of the Lord are about becoming something, not getting something, okay? The paths that he leads you on, even if they are full of trouble and disappointment, are for your good becoming. They are for your virtue. Let's remember that. The paths of the Lord are about becoming someone. And for each of us, he'll take us through different trials to help us become that virtuous image of God that he wants. And then, remember that Jesus is our model for perseverance, for waiting well. And if you understand the story of Israel, and you understand how long they waited for their Messiah King to come in and overthrow the powers uh, that were oppressing the Jewish people, for over 600 years they waited. For over 600 years, they were disappointed because different pagan empires ruled over them when they believed all these things that the psalmist says about God giving them abundance in the land. They believed that about God, and again and again and again, they were disappointed. And then a carpenter from Nazareth comes on the scene 
He's healing people. And he's preaching that the kingdom of God has come. And everyone's thinking, our disappointment is over. The Messiah is here. And then what does Jesus do? He voluntarily allows himself to be hung on a Roman cross. And he dies. Do you feel that disappointment? If you were following him, and you thought, I, thought, I thought he was the one to free us from the yoke of slavery. He dies. How disappointing. But what was that? That was a temporary disappointment. Because on the third day, a tidal wave of God's grace and power clears out all disappointment. And Jesus is risen from the grave, and all those who waited in him, their hope, their faith was renewed that something has happened, something that will not put them to shame. So I want to close here with reading what Peter says, one of Jesus's disciples. If you want to turn with me, you can, to 1 Peter chapter 2, how Peter describes that moment for all those who put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, Peter was the most disappointed. He had put the most faith in Jesus. And when he saw him risen from the grave, his shame was turned in to rejoicing. So here is what Peter writes to other Christians who are still struggling with that disappointment, struggling with that shame, struggling with the ridicule that they feel because they're following Jesus and yet are experiencing hardship. Here's what he writes. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says this. As you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone rejected by men but put in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion, that's Jerusalem, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. That same stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. See what he's saying? He's saying, we too felt the disappointment that you felt. We too wanted to turn from the ways of Jesus Christ. But when we saw one who was once dead, risen from the grave, who is now a living stone, we knew. We knew that our hope in him was worth it, that we would not be put to shame. And in fact, all those who disobey the word, 
they are the ones that will experience eternal disappointment. All the disappointment, all the shame, all the ridicule of following Jesus, following his ways, seeking to hear his voice, seeking to follow his path, all of it will be reversed through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we lift up our souls to you. We give you our life. We trust in you, God. Do not put us to shame. Do not let our enemies rejoice in our suffering, in our temporary disappointments, God. Give us the strength, give us the courage to persevere, to continue to do this life your way and not our own. God, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for the transgressions of our youth. God, we beg your pardon. Remove our sin. We cast it upon your son Jesus' cross. We ask you to take it as far as the east is from the west. God, come near us. Befriend us. Walk with us on this path that we might experience life and life to the full as much as you want for us in this life and we trust fully in the life to come. We pray this all because of your son Jesus and what he's done through the cross and the resurrection. Amen.